Shall we pray as we stand? Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your many blessings to us. We thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for revealing him to us in Scripture. Lord, we pray that by your grace you would speak clearly to us this evening, and that by your Holy Spirit you would enable us to be obedient to your will in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do please grab a seat. Very warm welcome. It's good to see you all uh, this evening. Um, I don't know how many of you read the church email that comes out uh, week by week. Um, if you did uh, read it this week, you'll notice it began with this notice. It said, Sunday evening, the ABCs of following Jesus continues this week as Callum Grewer speaks to us from 2 Corinthians about how to give. Now, probably as you read that, you were thinking a more accurate description would have been miserable Scotsman to give guilt-inducing sermon on giving, which fortunately won't be relevant for me. Now, there's not much I can do about the miserable Scotsman. Um, I will try and smile now and again, but uh, no promises. But I hope as we turn to see uh, what the Bible says about giving, that we'll see that God doesn't want us to be giving out of guilt, but rather out of overflowing joy. And that whatever your financial position, whether you're a new Christian or one who's been a Christian for many years, whether you currently give or not, that this is a sermon for you. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're here this evening, it's great to have you with us. Let me be very, very clear. We don't want your money. God doesn't want your money. But I hope as we look at how and why Christians give, that you will see the gift that God is offering to you as well. So let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And that's on page 1162. And we're really just going to work through these first uh, 12 verses um, that we had read for us a couple of moments ago. Um, so by way of a brief context, this is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth, so that's in modern-day uh, Greece. And he devotes these two chapters, chapters 8 and 9, uh, to this topic of giving. Because at that time, the Christians back in Jerusalem, they were facing severe persecution uh, for their faith. That, coupled with a famine in that sort of region, meant that they were in great need so Paul and others have been encouraging the churches that they've planted kind of around modern-day Turkey and Greece um, to be giving, giving resources to send back to the poor Christians in Jerusalem. Now, it appears that the Corinthian collection had somewhat stalled. Um, so they'd started about a year ago, and it's kind of ground to a bit of a halt. So Paul's therefore writing to them here to encourage them in their giving for this. So see, what we've got here is a very specific situation that Paul is writing into. Um, but as we go through it, we see that there's a number of principles about giving that we can apply to ourselves. So we're going to look at it really um, in three sections, um, as on your pink sheet. So there's firstly the example of the Macedonians, the example of Christ, and then the encouragement of the Corinthians. So we'll start with the example of the Macedonians. So four things uh, to draw out here. First of all, we have gracious giving. 
I guess you think, okay, Paul's writing this letter to encourage them in their giving. So how is he going to kick off? How is he going to begin this appeal? Is he going to say, and now, brothers, we want you to know how God will give you what you want if you give to him? No, that's not how he starts. And now, brothers, we want you to know just how terribly, terribly bad things are in Jerusalem. No, that's not how he starts. And now, brothers, we want you to know how generous the Macedonians have been. You see, Corinth was kind of in the south. It was quite affluent and well off. The Macedonians were up in the north. They were a bit backward up there. Um, Draw your own parallels uh, to England in the 21st century. Um, But here, is this what he's doing? No, he's not. Look with me at verse 1. What does he say? And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. It starts with God's grace. Because it is all about grace. The Macedonians' giving came from a heart that was overflowing with God's grace. And this focus on gracious giving, it flows right through our passage. Look with me down. Verse 4. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, or grace, it's the same word, of sharing in the service of the saints. Or verse 6. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. The end of verse 7. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about grace. So what are some of the reasons why we might give? I've come up with four. You might be able to think um, of other ones. If we give selfishly, it's because we want something in return. If we give grudgingly, it's because we think we have to. If we give dutifully, it's because we think we need to. But if we give thankfully, it's because we want to. And that's what Paul is longing for the Corinthians to do here. And for us, to give because we want to. To give thankfully. To give in response to God's grace to us. For our giving to come from a heart that is overflowing with God's grace. Gracious giving. Secondly, we have generous giving. Our giving is to be generous and self-sacrificial. The Macedonians here were going through a tough time. Verse 2 talks about they were in the most severe trial. They were in extreme poverty. And then along comes Paul, seeking gifts to give to some Christians in Jerusalem. People they'd never met before. People who were far, far away. It would be very tempting, wouldn't it? To say, look, I'm sorry, Paul, we'd love to give. But if you haven't noticed, things are pretty tough here at the moment. We're in extreme poverty. But what is their response? Verse 2. Out of this most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity 
For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Like the widow with the two copper coins in our first reading, they gave generously and self-sacrificially. And I guess the question for us is, is that what our giving is like? I think certainly for me, the description, when it, it comes to giving until it hurts, I have a very low threshold of pain. And I think that's more apt for a lot of us. We have a very low threshold of pain when it comes to giving until it hurts. But what would it look like for us to be giving generously, to be giving self-sacrificially? I think it's, it's giving that takes us out of our comfort zone. It's being willing to forgo a legitimate want on our part in order to meet a legitimate need elsewhere. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. He says, If our expenditures on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common amongst those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our giving does not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because our giving excludes them. Now this is obviously, it's going to look different for each of us. But if we are giving generously, it's going to cause our lives to look radically different from those around us. So let's give generously in response to God's grace to us. Thirdly, we have glad giving. The Macedonians, they gave joyfully. Did you notice in verse 4, they were pleading for the privilege of sharing in the service of the saints. That is the Christians in Jerusalem. They were pleading for the privilege. Now, if you were, happened to be in a particular corner of Korea uh, many years ago, you might have come across a rather bizarre sight. You would see a father and son um, out in the field uh, plowing. The old man was guiding this heavy plow as the boy was in front, pulling it along. They didn't seem to have an ox. And you, might, you would have rightly deduced that this family must have been very poor. If you'd gone into the local village, they would have told you about this family. This family were indeed very poor. They were Christians. And when those, they were building a little church in that village, this family had wanted to contribute something. But they had no money. So they sold their ox and gave the money to the church. So that spring, they were out plowing their field by themselves. Now, we'd probably rightly say, well, that was a real sacrifice on their part, wasn't it? But this is how they viewed it. We do not call it a sacrifice. We are just thankful that we had an ox to give. You see, like the Macedonians, they gave joyfully. They gave gladly. And what about us? Do we long for the privilege of supporting gospel work? and helping our fellow Christians around the world? Do we delight to give to God's work? Do we give 
gladly. Fourthly, God-centered giving. Look with me at verse 5. The Macedonians, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You see, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Giving their money, was, it was just one exp outward expression of their devotion to God. And that means if we're having God-centered giving, it's more than just giving our money. There's always a danger that we sort of see it as a case of we open our wallet and we sort of pay our Christian membership fee for the year and then we carry on as normal. That's not right. It's giving your whole life to God. But equally, God-centered giving isn't less than giving your money. I think we can often fall into the idea that we say, well, I don't give much of my money away, but that's okay because I give in other ways. And those are good other things to be doing. But in effect, what we're doing is we're taking our wallet out of our pocket. We're keeping that and then offering the rest of ourselves to God. No, let's be like these Macedonians. Let's offer ourselves along with our money to God. God-centered giving. But then this raises the question, well, what should I give to? Verse 5 says, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we're to give in keeping with God's will. You'd be thinking, great, Callum, that is really helpful. Um, I'll write that down now. Um, God doesn't have a bank account. We can't just set up a standing order um, there. So actually, what does that look like in practice for us? And in a sense, there's lots of worthy causes that we could be given to, both Christian and secular. And God has laid different concerns and issues on each of our hearts. So therefore, it's going to look different for each of us. I think my one reflection on this is the Christian pound is a rare commodity. If we as Christians are not giving to support the local church, who else will? If we as Christians are not giving to support Christians in need around the world, who else will? If we as Christians are not giving to support gospel work both here and abroad, who else will? So I suggest it seems sensible for us to be using the lion's share of our giving to support Christ's work in these ways. So Paul, having set out this example to, um, of the Macedonians, he now turns um, in verses 6 and 7 to, to talk directly uh, to the Corinthians. In effect, he poses this question. He says to them, what are you as a church known for? So the Corinthian church is one of the most well-off, one of the most gifted churches of that time. And so he says to them, verse 7, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you excel in this grace of giving. He's saying you're a great church in all these different ways. But be a church that is great in the grace of giving as well. Because for Paul, this wasn't some nice-to-have additional quality, but rather an important outworking of their faith. 
And I think the same question can be asked of us here at St. John's. What are we as a church known for? We might say, well, we're a strong, faithful Bible teaching church. We're strong at being a church that equips people and sends them out to serve elsewhere. We're strong at being a welcoming church for people that come in. But are we a generous, giving church? Paul says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Gracious, generous, glad, God-centered giving. So having given the example of the Macedonians, Paul now, now turns to give the example of Christ. Look with me at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Isn't this incredible? The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who made us, who made all things, for our sakes he became poor. He left the glory, the riches of heaven, and came down to earth as a man. He became one of us. But why? Because we were poor. We were impoverished in our sinfulness. We were enslaved to death and sin. But he came and he took our sins upon himself. He gave himself up for us. Out of love for us, he died for us. So that we could be rich beyond all measure. So that we could have our sins forgiven. So that we could be reconciled back to God. So that we could be called children of God. And so that we could reign with him for all eternity. If we want to know what does Christian giving look like, we just need to look at the cross. Because we stand as a Christian purely on the generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we grasp something of that generosity, it should transform our view of money. All we have, all we are, comes from God. And as we look at that cross, we remember it doesn't matter how much I give. It is nothing in comparison to what God has done for us. We don't give to God in some sort of tit-for-tat arrangement. That is through our giving we sort of earn his favor. We don't give to earn our salvation. Christ has done that for us. Rather, we give in response to the salvation that we have received through Christ's gift to us. So let's be those who give inspired by the cross of Christ and by who we are in Christ. Now, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, can I urge you to come to know this grace of God, this gift that he has given? Because out of love, God has provided a way that you can escape from your poverty of sinfulness and enjoy the spiritual riches of being part of his family. It's a free gift, generously and graciously given to all those who trust in the Lord Jesus. God doesn't want your money. What he wants is you. 
So we've had the example of the Macedonians. We've had the example of Christ. And now thirdly, we have Paul's encouragement of the Corinthians. So here in these verses 10 to 15, he's turning to speak more practically uh, to the Corinthians. And firstly, we see in relation to giving, he says, desire to do it. Look with me at verse 8. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. And verse 10. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Notice first Paul's language, his tone here. He's been very careful not to be commanding the Corinthians. In verse 8, he's effectively saying, be what you are in Christ. He wants the Corinthians to desire to give, to give out of grace. That is, freely choose out of their own free will in response to God's amazing grace to them. As chapter 9, verse 7 says, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Desire to do it. And then secondly, he says, actually do it. Look with me, verses 11 and 12. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. He's saying it's great the desire is there, but don't procrastinate. I don't know, if you're like me, I'm great at procrastinating. Even the things that I desire to do. So I've got a university friend who lives a couple of miles from where we live. And I've been meaning for months and months to have them round for dinner. But I just can't get around to it. You know, I need to look at the calendar, see when we're free, send them the dates, then get a time that works. I've just never quite got around to doing it. And in a way, our giving is often like that. We go, yes, I need to do my giving. But life's busy. We just never quite get around to doing it. Paul says, actually do it. Find time to sort your giving now. There's a story told of a pastor who went to see a farmer. Um, it's clearly not in London, um, but uh, there you go. Um, anyway, he sees the, he sees the, the farmer uh, who is part of his church. And he says to the farmer, if you had a thousand pounds, would you give 500 pounds of it to the Lord? I would, the farmer replied. If you had two cows, would you give one of them to the Lord? Sure, says the farmer. If you had two pigs, would you give one of them to the Lord? The farmer pauses. Now that's not fair. You know I've got two pigs. And I think there is that natural tendency, isn't there, in all of us, that we kind of want to put off giving to some future point in time, when we're better off, when we've built up that deposit for the flat, when the kids have left home, when we're earning a bit more, you know, if we won the lottery, well, gosh, I'd be incredibly gracious. I'd give most of it away. But Paul says here, give according to what you have now. 
not according to what you don't have. Yes, you may be able to give more in the future, that's great, but give now what you can from what you have. Thirdly, Paul says, do it thoughtfully and prayerfully. I guess the question arises, well, how much should we give? Should we be tithing? That is giving 10% of our income. Well, this side of the cross, there is no passage in the scripture that talk about Christians tithing. Paul devotes two whole chapters here to the subject of giving. And at no point does he say, now remember, chaps, you should be giving 10%. That's what God is looking for. But rather, what did we see a couple of moments ago? Chapter 9, verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How much we give is something for us to discern before God, thoughtfully and prayerfully. Don't just pick, randomly pick a number, but decide in your heart before God what to give. You see, the New Testament emphasis is very much on generous giving. Now, for a few of us, giving 10%, that may be too much in the moment. By the time we've, we've fed the family, paid the bills, there may be not, virtually nothing left. However, for most of us, we're probably in a position where we can give, to be giving generously would mean giving far more than 10%. We could probably give away 10% and wouldn't even notice it. I guess one area we might want to think about this is what happens when our income goes up as we get pay rises, etc. The question then is, how much of this additional income can I give? If we were managing before and our cost of living hasn't gone up, can't we be giving a far greater proportion of this additional income to the Lord? The 18th century preacher John Wesley, he put it like this, give all you can, or in other words, give all you have to God. Do not stint yourself to this or that proportion. Render unto God not a tenth, not a third, not a half, but all that is God's, be it more or less. By employing all on yourself, your household, the household of faith, and all mankind, in such a manner that you may give a good account of your stewardship when you can no longer be stewards. John Wesley was a man who practiced what he preached. In 1731, having been challenged on the subject of giving, he began to limit his expenses so that he could give more away. His expenses that year were 28 pounds, and his income was 30 pounds. You can see what inflation has done in 300 years. Um, so he had two pounds left uh, to give away. Through his life, his income rose and rose and rose to the point where he was earning 1,400 pounds a year, which was a lot of money back then. He gave all but 30 pounds of that 1,400 pounds away. When he died in 1791, at the ripe old age of 87, the only money mentioned in his will was the coins to be found in his pocket and dresser. John Wesley grasped that Christian giving is gracious, generous, glad, God-centered giving inspired by God's gift to us. 
So I guess as we close, the question is, well, well, what do we do now? Paul ends this section of these two uh, chapters in chapter 9, verse 15, with these words. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And that's right, isn't it? We first and foremost, we look to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we give out of gratitude. We give out of the overflow of his gift to us. So we need to, we need to look up at the cross of Christ. We need to look forward to Christ's return. And in light of them, sort out our finances. That's what John Wesley did. That's what those Macedonian Christians in the first century did. Let us do likewise. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your indescribable gift to us of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we through his poverty may become rich. Forgive us, Lord, when we are hard of heart, when we are reluctant to give to the one who has given us all things. By your Holy Spirit, we ask that you would lead us into cheerful generosity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.